right. We have a unexpected managing partner uh, panel. So it's just me and Jared today. We're going to keep it flowing. Uh, I think this is episode four and Jared's first episode. So welcome to the show, Jared. Thanks. Good to be here. It's good to have you. Right. It's not expected, but uh, we'll, we'll take it. Because of having you down the plane, traveling around the world. <laughs> for real. For real. Um, so yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep it short today, given it's just Jerry and I, but wanted to at least hit some of the key things that have happened the last two and a half weeks. Um, you know, I think we would be remiss to not start with the Fearless Fund lawsuit, which has been in all of the Black GP group chats and channels, uh, rightly so. And, you know, obviously it's current litigation, so... We'll be careful what we say, but I think just from like an emotional and mission-driven firm, uh, something that we should at least you know, hit on and talk about. Um, so I don't know if you want to start. I can start. I know you were the, I guess you jumped out there with your tweets. So I think you feel a lot about this. I would love to hear how you're thinking about it. Cause I'm definitely have the more <laughs> business continuity legal hat on. Yeah. I mean, so I think get that point i think for for me it was really around like what was right or wrong what's the implications for this long term you know jared brandon and i met through a program called manual leadership for tomorrow which is a program focused on black latino um and native american college students getting into fortune 500 companies and they also help them get into top business schools and so i know like what that program has done for my life uh, whether MLT or SEO and a number of other programs. And so I think my biggest fear is like, if the start is that like, hey, we can't have minority focused programs, whether that's for food programs, affordable housing, financial, education, I think it's a really slippery slope where I don't see how it ends in instances like where a case like this uh, kind of gets through. Yes, it's a pitch competition. I think the bigger fear is like, what is like next? And I think so many of the, like, I mean, the firm wouldn't exist for us if it wasn't for MLT. Yeah. Right. And so that's the stuff that kind of gets me concerned and, uh, and nervous. And there's a lot of legal talks and we listen to Cooley and we talk to our lawyers, you know, whether it's legal or illegal, but I think for me, it's more about like what's right or wrong and like, what's the future of the country to kind of right size, you know, what's happened for a lot of underserved communities. Now it's a good point, right? I think. The programs you're referring to and affirmative action more broadly, I think, has been hugely beneficial. I think I tweeted, like, I don't know if I've de benefited directly from affirmative action, but I know I deserve to be in those runs. I think some of these programs just made it possible for great talent to have an opportunity, which is ultimately what we're trying to do. Um, I mean, honestly, as you were talking, it just makes me think about the 2016 election and why people were crying on the outcome. It's like, folks knew... You know, elections and people in power just have so much ability to dictate our day-to-day -day lives. And I think um, sometimes I think people get a little jaded about how messed up our politics are. But when, you know, you have a president of a certain party and they have the ability to appoint judges and there's three openings in a period of time, like this kind of stuff happens, right? And so, I don't know. It's just, it just makes me want to get more involved. Like, I'm not going to run for office, but I think <laughs> you want to like, support um, you know, candidates and get our peer groups and get smart young people in to like, you know, work on some of this stuff. But the, this, what sucks about, you know, the judicial appointments, like these are like lifetime appointments, even at the circuit level, they're, they're long-term appointments. And so it's going to take a long time to undo this. But on the flip side, I think 
things like this, whether it's, you know, Roe v. Wade getting a return of this, hopefully it can galvanize and create more, um, you know, alignment energy around this in, in a positive way. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, Fearless Fund and all their allies are able to put up a good fight. And, you know, we're obviously going to do what we can do. Uh, but to your point, it's more important to be on the right side of history. The last thing I'll say is I was talking to LP before this. And he said, hey, when I think about what you guys do, it's really that you're trying to make a portfolio that reflects America. And that's right. Like, that's what we shouldn't be doing, right? You know, Black, Latino, women founders only get less than 4% of all VC funding. Um, We're going to have to overcorrect a bit to make any debt. Uh, but ultimately, that's the right thing to do. And so I, I'm, all, I'm agree with you that that's what we should be focused on. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And we, we talked about this in the last episode. Just the the ages that that's happening in Congress and the disconnect and you know people have unlimited power at the Supreme Court and like how that impacts it and I to some extent a lot of people probably sleep at the wheel and now yeah. we're like we're all kind of like how is this happening like it seems yeah. like unfathomable. I ever had friends talking about oh I'm not going to vote and I'm like yeah I was I used to be pissed about being mad but like still show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the people were pretty censored about it too. You're like oh don't tell what yeah. to do. Um, that's part of democracy, right? And we yeah. try to encourage people to vote too. So, yeah. I mean, long fight to be a long haul. It's been, I think, two weeks since the case came up. Uh, a lot of people, I would say one thing, like, I haven't seen group chats of people calling this active since SVB. Yeah. Uh, so it is like a crisis mode for a lot of managers because we know, like, it can impact us personally, professionally, and even, like, you know, to the point of, like, your kids and, other things like there's so many more implications. So I think it is a moment of you know crisis that we need to come together. And it's going to be a long fight. It's going to continue to be a lot of work. Yep. I mean, I was curious about who's funding this operation, right? Um, and I'll, I'll spend some time like looking through like who actually is all funding this energy because even if the letter of law, um, it has been stepped on, like we know the spirit of the law is is on our side for sure. And I'm curious, like, who the groups are and, like, how do we galvanize, you know, big daughters, companies to all come. But I've, I'm happy to see that a lot of corporations that have made diversity initiatives at least want to continue to be involved and hopefully are going to support with dollars and action behind the scenes here. Yeah, like the biggest risk is people get scared. You get into this moment, you know, similar to the anti-woke Bud Light. And now, you know, Bud Light was saying they don't know if their earnings will ever come back. Yeah. After the incident. And it's like, because of that, do you not support what you really believe in? And so, yeah, I think like that's a fear for me is like, do these corporations and do large LPs, institutions, you know, stop funding things because there's a moment in time, you know, where people are pushing back. And you've seen it happen for a lot of corporate brands um, already. So we'll see. We'll see. So, yes, moving um, away from the political side, more to the macroeconomic side, you know, thinking about the economy, we're more than halfway through the year. Uh, the guy who famously had the movie Big Short just uh, shorted the economy and thinks there will be, you know, a recession. And people have been talking about a recession, but we're only 3% off of the S&P highs. Uh, you know, so unemployment's at 3%, which is the lowest it's been in a long time, I think 27 or 2.8%. Like, how, how are, like, what do you see on the ground versus like what you're reading? You know, what's your view on like where you think like the macro economy is going to go? Would you short the market? Are you long the market? Are you kind of, are you indifferent? Like, hey, I'm going to have some yeah. some cash and some in the market. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm long 
the market overall. I'm never going to short the market. I'm long. Oh, you're, long you're long US like Warren Buffett. <laughs> I'm long in the US like Warren Buffett. I'm long technology. I'm long innovation. I just think, you know, we have a great, you know, we have so many things in our favor, whether it's geography, um, the centers of innovation, the human capital, the institutions, and a lot of good momentum. And I think AI is definitely um, provide another much needed jolt in the economy. So I'm excited about that. Um, there are some data points I'm concerned about, like definitely, uh, we saw a study, I, don't, I couldn't find it before this, but that um, I believe auto loans and credit card liquidities are very high. I'm assuming student loans would be too. And the price I'm of a car is like at an all time high. Prices of cars at an all time high. Um, obviously, interest rates, they're now closer to, I guess, 30 year averages. Um, but the pace at which they've increased has been shocking, right? Like any, any institution or individual who's holding fixed income, those things are devalued. I think it's a really tough environment to navigate, right? Like, but to your point, you know, employment is an okay spot. Uh, mortgage liquidities are at like all time lows. So just don't really know what to do. I think we've been in a business loan recession where the companies have been cutting back, but the consumer seems to be pretty strong. So what does that mean? I mean, I'm personally like I, I overinvested in 2021. I'm happy with my position. Like most of us. <laughs> like most of us. So I'm building my cash balance for a personal reason. I think I plan to start putting more in indices. Um, I've always been a fan of the S&P, but there's apparently one called uh, VTI. It's a Vanguard index, like three basis points, so super low fee. And you get access, I think, all 4,000 companies in the U.S. I'll probably like dollar cost average into that. It's, a, it's I don't know if it's a time to be aggressive, right? I, I think Warren Buffett and the, the big short guy both sold a lot this year. Um, August tends to be a slow month in general. I think, you know, the market indices are down this month, but still up okay this year. So not really sure, man, but trying to just take it easy, take enough risk in VC that I'm trying to just keep it really simple. <laughs> how about you? What, what are you saying? What, how are you, how are you managing your portfolio right now? I mean, I think the only, like one of the only positives is unemployment, right? I think a lot of yeah. people are like, how do you have a recession when you have the lowest unemployment in, you know, decades? I think if it wasn't for unemployment, and like low mortgage delinquencies is misleading because I think it's 60% of people have fixed mortgage incomes versus like during the 08 crisis, it was like 30 or 20%. And I think it's like 60% of people have uh, mortgages below like three or 4%, right? And so you low, low interest rate environment, people aren't going to sell their homes, which is why home prices are rising because supply is low. Because why would you sell a house and then double your mortgage rate for a new house? But I think other than unemployment, like I don't see like a lot of like positives you know, even from like a BC portfolio perspective, like we're seeing everybody, you know, enterprise at least, like everybody's cut costs, people are firing, they're doing smaller contracts. And so like, it's going to be harder to grow for a lot of these companies. And though the S&P is doing well, if you remove the big seven, like barely up much, right? And so, you know, I, th I think a recession, like everybody, I think a recession is going to come. I'm glad that I didn't bank on a recession like early this year, like some did. I think you would have, you know, you would have been screwed. Um, I think this session is more likely kind of like one H twenty four, but I think it's just so hard. I think that's why you, I really take the Warren Buffett approach, like time in market, don't time the market. Cause people have been thinking it's been going to be a recession for so many years and it kind of happened last year. And it, technically it did cause we had two quarters down GDP wise, then it bounced back and people forgot about it. So it, it's really hard to time. I think you can't, you know, you can't make your decisions around that. And 
as a fund manager, we can't do that as a personal investor myself. Like I also try not to do that and just dollar cost average over time and then have cash for like moments like this when you want to deploy uh, in you know, the bear markets. Have you been tracking corporate earnings at all? I haven't been, so I'm not able to like. Whatever I see on like CNBC, I haven't like put in a document. I like listen to it. It seems like it seems like people have been hitting, but like still at the same time they'll hit and then the stock drops because their projections are lower, right? So like it really doesn't like the earnings matter less for the quarter. It's more about like what do you think the future is going to be? Because by the yeah. time you by the time you announce earnings, it's been too much past the quarter anyway. Yeah, I think yeah, I mean. Yeah, unclear how the credit and interest rates affect everything. Apparently, the slower China economy makes some people scared. There's obviously still the Russia-Ukraine thing. Like, there's a lot of data points, but I think, you know, it's a time to be constructive. I think outside of private market, or sorry, outside of public markets, secondaries apparently are really hot right now. The same LP I was talking to is doubling down on secondaries. And so I think if you can, you know, have a strong stomach, there's probably still a lot of opportunity in a market like this, but you know, also to make sure you're not losing your shirt if things do. <laughs> I mean, I was talking to an LP earlier and the last five years, like what we've gone through has been like two decades of like investor experience in terms of we've dealt with a war. We've dealt with two of the three largest banks collapsing in the U S uh, we've dealt with a pandemic, you know, supply, tr- supply, uh, constraints, Apple, iOS, hurting consumer tech companies, climate change. I mean, d- different climate that we've never seen for the largest fire deaths in history and largest storms in history and heat that we've never seen the hottest month on planet earth. Like there's just like so many things where it's like, wow, like you never really get a break. And mm-hmm. like, if you could survive these past five years, maybe you weren't thriving, but you did good enough. Then like, hopefully <laughs> the next five won't be as hard as the last five. <laughs> Try to survive and then just wait for the next blow market. That's that's what I'm, I'm hoping for first. <laughs> I think to that point of like, right, all this change, how does it impact like us as a firm? How does it impact the industry? I think the most telling is, you know, probably arguably the best uh, VC investor of all time in the last couple of decades has been Sequoia. Right, and Sequoia split their funds into three funds between the US, uh, India, and China. Sequoia just lost five partners. They uh, downsized their their firms, a crypto firm to fund the funds, et cetera. And so like, if the best investor in the space is like going through all this change, you would think that like, that's gonna trickle down to other people who haven't generated insane returns over the past 20 years. Like, what do you think the changes are gonna be, particularly like in venture capital, given like what's happened the last five years and given rates are higher and given now like the IPO market has collapsed, et cetera. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so, I mean, venture capital ultimately, you know, some will get say it's like a an artisan business, like it's a pretty bespoke, hands-on thing, and tougher to scale, but it's too surrounded. You know, we're investing in cash negative companies, deep out of the money call options, trying to help companies buy private make private market fit scale, go against the companies. But there's going to be high loss ratios, right? And I think. Because of liquidity that came through in some of the last few years, as well as like the quick follow-ons that happened, driven in part by the crossover funds, it just means things kind of got skewed. We kind of got away from focusing long-term on companies' earning potential, you know, focusing on innovation, acquiring customers efficiently, 
good unit economics being profitable at some point. And, you know, I think folks, a lot of VCs were just investing in hype cycles, which you kind of have to do, but also banking on another greater fool to be there to fund the company, even if they actually weren't creating anything that could support that valuation in the public market. So what I think it means in practice is a lot of folks are kind of having reckonings that to look hard in the mirror. I think the industry overall, I won't say it'll shrink, but I think it'll grow at a slower pace. I think there definitely is room for specialists, whether that's you know early stage firms or industry focused firms or geographic focused firms. But I think like being a supermarket catch all, we do everything from high volume C to you know Series E. I don't think it's going to be as easy to do. Um, I think there's going to be a higher bar to get any deal done at any stage. It's going to take longer probably to get follow-ons. Valuations will be lower. But hopefully this means we're building more capital-efficient companies. You don't necessarily need hundreds of millions of dollars to build an innovative company, right? You just need a really good team executing well um, and the right capital to hit your milestones. So that's kind of what I'm thinking is going to happen. But I assume that some of the OG GPs will stick around. Some of the newer ones on like, you know, a couple of fund numbers will be fine. But I think if you're at a big firm and you're a partner without a clear plan to really rise the ranks or at like a mid-sized fund, I think they'll, they'll be squeezed a lot. Some I mean, and there was a lot of a lot of partners who probably wouldn't have been partners out in market. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, what do you think? I think that I think a lot of like emerging managers are not going to be able to raise their next funds. You know, an emerging manager is fund one to three. So I think if you're on that fund one to three, it's going to be hard for a lot of people to raise. So I think you will see consolidation terms of numbers. <laughs> I mean, I, it doesn't mean it's not for us, hopefully not yeah. going to work. <laughs> but I do think it's going to happen for a lot of funds because I think part of it was like it had never been easier to get into venture in the last decade, right? Like you could raise a 10, 20, 30 million dollar first time fund. Like even for us raising a 40 million first time fund, like was like unheard of, right? Like the OGs first round, six, four, five, like a lot of these firms, they raised like five, eight million dollar first time funds, right? Even if you account for inflation, like that just wasn't heard of. And so I think it's going to be a lot harder to start funds. And you're seeing that in the data. It's like the slowest first half of a year since 2013, I think. Um, and it's going to be harder for funds to raise additional capital because there were just so many uh, funds that LPs were invested in. Now, I think there will be some consolidation. You're actually already seeing some firms actually merge strictly smaller ones and combine their firms so to try to combine their LP base and their partner base. I think the larger funds will be fine. Uh, they already have enough LPs that they can like cycle out and there's always going to be capital who are willing to go to these large brand names. I had a call this morning with a large like multi-billion dollar mega fund and she was talking about like they're really bad at C, like they're a series A, B fund and their conversion from C to A is atrocious and they should just like stop doing C, stay A and she thinks that a lot of like mega funds who got into C if they actually start to like do the reflection, look at the data and feedback, they'll realize like they also should get out, right? It's just not the best use of time doing a $4 million check when we got a, a two, $3 billion fund. Like it's really hard to keep focused. And so I think you're going to see a lot of those funds kind of grow similar to what happened for Tiger and others, but you're going to see that start to flow through. But I mean, I also think it's like, it's going to be harder to make money. And so I think it's going to be easier to see who's good and who's not. I think it was really yeah. hard to see who was good versus great in the last five to seven years because everybody was getting marked up. That's not going to be the case anymore going forward. Yeah, it's so real. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, 
definitely harder market to raise. You know, every LP we talk to says that they're not allocating new managers, et cetera. But when you go to these events that are like for GPs, like it is the images there. They it is packed, like they're getting sold out within hours. Um, so that that's interesting. I do think I mean the good news is that if you do raise your fund now, this shouldn't be a good vintage. I think prices are fine. There's a big, you know, potentially tech innovation wave with AI. Um, and I think the founders are approaching venture capital with a better mindset of like, we don't need a big team. Let's focus on being differentiated. I think a lot of founders that did DTC because they thought it was like cool or fun, like are coming to terms with the reality that like it's very hard to scale DTC business and be valued highly. And so I think a lot of folks are being more commercial with how to interact with venture capital and not actually build a business that can generate venture type returns. Yeah. Yeah. I think to the, you know, kind of pivoting topics to like feedback, because the only way you can like reflect on this is if you like give yourself feedback, you do 360 feedback to some extent internally. Um, we just had our video review of our team. So we do video feedback and end of year feedback every six months. And then even our interns, we do five week and 10 weeks for the intern. So essentially our firm does feedback eight times a year. Uh, which is great. Um, and I think it's unique. And I had an LP call this morning as well. Um, they asked kind of like, hey, how do you guys think about feedback? How has it evolved over time? You know, is it the Bridgewater like daily? Is it the, you know, Goldman Sachs once a year? And like, it's more anonymous. And so I think it's like really important, like in this time where like we're going through a change in the macro environment, you're seeing large firms like Sequoia make these decisions. If you're not getting feedback and you're not like taking time to reflect, you're probably not going to like get these lessons and figure that out. It's like, how do you think about like that feedback uh, loop? Like, especially because venture is such a long game. Like how do, how do we get feedback in the interim of knowing, Hey, you have a unicorn, but also like more tactically other things that like you think we're doing good or not good as a firm, like giving feedback to the team and also like receiving feedback from the team. Yeah. I'm happy to let you start. I know I've jumped in on the last couple of questions. If you wanted to kick it off and I can, I could follow up with you. Yeah, I mean, so I think from a feedback perspective, like we do, to get people perspective, we do, everybody puts their stuff into a document that the whole team can see. And then basically we have like a circle and then everybody gets feedback to each other. And so there's no like anonymous, if we can do anonymous, like on the side of people have feedback they want to give and have us share with the team. But generally, like we don't want people to not know, you know, what's going on. There should really be no surprises at the feedback session coming to you. You know, hopefully people will give you feedback along the way. You know, I think for us, like what's really helpful, the, the intern, like the employee feedback is helpful for you to grow. But what I really appreciate more is like we do firm feedback and it's like, okay, the firm, like what's the firm good at? What's the firm improved on? And what's the firm, like what should the firm stop? What are we bad at? Right. And so whether it's we had our angel program, we did one time, we stopped. Uh, we just relaunched our, our founder launch pad, which is for operators, which is the second one. And we thought it was, you know, really good. The intern program, we're on our 18 class. So obviously we, we think that's going well. And so if we don't have the opportunity to like really assess the firm and get the team's impact or input, and often the team is the one leading a lot of these things, then we don't know like, hey, what are the things that us as managing partners should be focused on? Because, you know, the bigger the firm gets, the further you are away. And so I think it is really important that we try to like stay as close to the work as possible in these feedback sessions, particularly like on the firm, uh, which can feel personal because like we kind of do represent the firm. Um, it's just like really helpful. So I think we've created an environment where our employees are 
okay with that and know that we're not going to take it personal, which is important. Like we're not going to dock your bonus because you give us, you know, bad feedback personally or for the firm. I think that's important to, to grow and scale um, over time. Yeah, I think I like the way we do it. I mean, you know, our ethos is rather be right than consistent. And so I, I like that we're always improving and we have that ethos. Um, I'm trying to think here. I mean, I like our structure. And then I also like that we encourage people to give us feedback kind of instantaneously. And so if there is a rub that happens outside of the semi-annual feedback, sessions i think people were comfortable bringing up uh, like one of our team members didn't like how we approached the deal that they were advocating for and like pulled us to the side and told us i was like that's very helpful um some firms don't do 360 reviews at all like it, it could be one-sided it's like, pretty it, rare and you just go into the the junior people i mean our last firm they did it like once every three years um some firms don't do it at all so i think we just get better and we're all i think a, a lot more in sync and, and everything's because we, we do that. So I, I want us to keep pushing it. And I think what else we do that's helpful is our, our monthly jam sessions. And I guess our quarterly retreats where we're actually just reflecting on what we could do better, encouraging the team. I keep getting impressed where we have these about the jam sessions that people come with like slide decks prepared and all like, here's what we should be doing differently. Now I'm trying to push a new investment framework checklist thing. Um, so Gabby and I are working on it. Um, so essentially, like we had two scorecards. We had one on the overall investment opportunity. We would score a couple dimensions, one to five, like market, team, financials, HP value add. And then we had a rubric for founder characteristics. There were seven characteristics like, you know, passion, vision, self-awareness. But I really wanted to make sure we're like just, there's so many things to talk about when we go to partner meetings and when we're having voting. But I want to make sure we're getting on paper. And so I propose like a scorecard where we actually like check through a lot of things like okay is a repeat founder is there actually customer validation it does this align with our fund model just putting it all on page um but we need a glossary we'd actually define what some of these terms were because so we got immediate feedback from the team immediate <laughs> feedback actually it wasn't immediate because i said it around but once it's already used they got some feedback but working on that glossary i should get it in your inbox tomorrow well this it'll, well, this will air later but you hopefully you'll see it by then. So I'm excited. <laughs> I, I just like that we're focused on getting better um, all, all the time. Um, I do want to shift gears unless you have anything else on the feedback point. No, go ahead. So I know you had a really interesting experience recently where I think you passed on the founder and then they replied saying F you uh, within a lengthy email. And I know like definitely took you aback and everything. Just wanted to hear like, how you're thinking about it, how you responded, any teachable moments for us or for, for founders trying, trying to raise VC capital. Yeah. I mean, I guess like on the feedback note, right. And I shared this on LinkedIn and Twitter. I didn't disclose the person's name, but like as a, as a founder, as a GP, you know, it feels personal because it's your company and the feedback would be like, you can't take it personal. It's a very small world. It's a very long game. You don't know who's going to come back. Like LPs have passed on us, then they invest in the next fund. We pass on founders and we invest in the next company or the next round. Right. And so it's a relationship uh, game. And like, if I like was like rude, then yeah, it would have been warranted. But it was a pretty standard pass email. Uh, and, you know, I, I get it. Some founders are emotional. I've gotten long emails. It's the first we got, we looked at probably 12,000 deals over the last five years, invested in 50 companies. And it's the first email I've personally gotten where founders said the F word. And so like, it really like pissed me off to some extent. 
Yeah. Uh, I was going to reply. Like, I actually started drafting the email back and I deleted it. I was like, I'm not going to reply. It's not even, it doesn't, you know, it's not worth it. And then it happened to me 4 p.m. on Sunday. I was like, I'm still like tweet something. It's a slow period. So like, it's not going to catch up anyway. And then all of a sudden it became my second most viewed tweet. That thing ripped. <laughs> which I didn't, which I didn't expect. So I was like, I literally <laughs> said I'm going to do it because it's a slow period on Sunday. Yeah, um, yeah. And it just ripped. And I was like, I guess like it, you know, it hit with some people. And some people got it, some people didn't. You know, some people were trying to uh, say like, hey, you know, you never know what the founder is going through. And I personally don't care. Like, am I ever said that to an LP? I mean, we would like, it'd just be so dumb. Because, like, and, yeah, and that right. LP, like, ever told other LPs that, like, we said F you. Like, I just, you know, I think to some extent, and uh, the All In Pockets talked about this, like, we're in a market where, like, people have just given so much grace to founders. And I think people don't appreciate, like, what it means, like, raise capital. Like, once you go out and raise capital, like, your job is to be uh, a steward of capital, as we would call it. Right? It's not just about being a founder. Once we raise company as a VC... It's not just about investing in great companies. Like that's like half the job. The other half is LP management, investor communication, making updates, making the people who gave us millions of dollars feel like we're listening to them, feel like we're, you know, taking care of the capital. Like people don't really care. Like if you just make the money, like some people do, but not real checks, not like people who are going to give you hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Like they want to feel good during the process. They don't want to just like make money 10 years later. And so I think to some extent, like the last 10 years, and this is going to change, uh, we've been in a, a place where people don't have board seats, no investor updates, and we've kind of let founders get away with a lot of things. And now you're seeing that completely change. Liquidation preps are going to 2-3x. People are requiring, you know, boards. People are requiring more updates. And this was normal, right? Like, similar to interest rates, like 7-8% mortgage rates is normal. <laughs> and this yep. is, like, what normal was. And we're getting back to, like, what normal was. And so I think, you know, just understand that. Like, there's no... And I had, I had to learn this, too. You know, fund one are people who passed on us who we thought would invest because we've known them for years and it felt personal. And I was like, like if I can't get them, then who are we going to get? And so it took me time. So I get it as a first time founder. Like it takes time to like grow with that and understand like nobody owes you anything. Like nobody owes you money. Nobody owes you their time. Right. Like it can feel hard on the other side because we're getting emails and it's like, I want to reply to that person, but like the inbox is not my desires. It's somebody else's desires. Um, so just like be mindful of that and think about it. It's a, it's a long game. Uh, the intention was not for the tweet to blow up. Uh, I'm glad they named the person, but you know, I think it's, you know, hopefully they've seen it and they realize like, Hey, don't do that again. Cause I wasn't as nice as I was like, you know, I'm not going to name the founder to other VCs, but I know plenty of other VCs that would literally blacklist you. And like, you just don't want people to control your future by having like a bad story to share about you. It's not worth, it's not worth it. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, you got to always operate with respect. To your point, like we we get it feeling like life and death and you're getting started out. Unfortunately, we're at a position now where we can take a more measured and long-term approach. We're never doing that, but I can understand, you know, having catching feelings or, be, or being upset. But I think it's, it's one thing to be rude and disrespectful, but I think even more selfishly, like you now some people have said how you do one thing is how you do everything. I think if you're sending emails like that, it probably just means your mindset is screwed up. Like, unlikely... You're writing emails like that and are thoughtful about acquiring customers and able to attract great talent and have great investor communication. Like those things are unlikely. Like if you truly are understand like the importance of respecting people, building rapport, being professional, I think that carries a lot of weight. And that's why I think some of the LPs get it. Like they're 
sorry, why folks don't just care about the 10 year return to your point. Like folks know all these things are related and there's some, uh, factors you can't control, but the ones you can control are how you interface with people, how you manage relationships. Do you take your client seriously? Does your team, are they valued? Are you encouraging them? Right. And all that stuff kind of works together. So I think outside of this, not offending people, but also like selfishly, you should not want to be that type of person because that's not a path to success either. No, no, I, I agree. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I, I blocked the founder on social. So I, was like, I don't know if they were responding or not. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, well, this was a good episode with Jared. Appreciate you guys listening in and, uh, we're back to work. All right. Take care. Enjoy the summer.